chapter 11, verse 9. <clears throat> An hypocrite or a godless man, uh, a man who uh, has uh, no scruples, uh, one who is soiled, one that is profane, one that is polluted. Um, he, with his mouth, using his his mouth, uh, that uh, those words that come out of his mouth, is able to destroy his neighbor. To destroy means to cause ruin. He's able by his mouth to. Uh, cause ruin to his associate, to the person uh, who is nearby. But through knowledge shall the just be delivered. I just want to uh, show you a contrasting verse for a moment. It says in verse 11, By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. Here the mouth of the wicked, the mouth of the godless man, is able to destroy his neighbor. But the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. Now, as I was meditating on this uh, verse this morning and just sort of mulling it over in my mind, I was reminded of James chapter 3, uh, where it speaks of the fact that you can't uh, bring out of your, your mouth, out of the same mouth, blessing and cursing any more than you can have uh, sweet water come from a, a bitter well. And uh, as I was thinking of that, I was, I was thinking of the, the blessing of the Lord that came from the lips of David repeatedly, again and again and again. And uh, I was thinking of the fact that uh, we as men, I'm sure, are not godless men, and it's not our purpose to uh, um, destroy our neighbor with our mouth, uh, but rather to use our mouth to glorify God and to bless God. And I, uh, I was thinking about the fact that tomorrow is Thanksgiving, and um, I think Thanksgiving is such a good holiday, it deserves more than one day um, uh, time and energy. I think we ought to do Thanksgiving a little more often, especially since we're told uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, that we are to offer a sacrifice of praise continually, a continual sacrifice from our heart, just like the fragrance of the, of the altar of incense, which had perpetual fire, um, would reach the nostrils of God, so God desires that kind of praise from, from our lips as well. So I thought maybe rather than um, get right into the text this morning, that we'd take just a few minutes and see if some of you have something for which you'd like to praise the Lord. Um, don't want to steal your thunder if you're planning to come and praise the Lord tonight with us in our uh, praise service. Uh, but uh, um, it really doesn't matter if you use the same testimony twice if you only have one. But uh, we'd love to have you just uh, take a brief moment and share uh, what the Lord means to you. We haven't done this for a long time in class, and uh, so uh, you're free to stand where you are and share a, a testimony of praise to the Lord this morning. I know it's awfully early to do that, but some of you don't have your mind in gear yet, so 
Everybody's jumping up at once. Praise the Lord for Valley Church and all this done for my family and myself. Mm. I've never tried this uh, this hour of the morning, so maybe that's the uh, right behind you, is Ken, and then we'll get you. I like to praise him for how uniquely ties messages together and just happenings in our lives. Hmm. Good. Seeing this sign up here this morning, I have to praise him for having a godly wife. Hmm. Was it uh, David said, "I, I, um, I'm glad that I was afflicted because I learned your ways," or something like that. Yeah, we all experience some of that. Stayed in bed this morning, didn't he? Ah. <laughs> you have to, the only morning he has been here. Tell you what, you have to invite him to come now. <laughs> That's great. Dave's a good friend, so I can kid him. <laughs> anybody so we'll just uh... yeah John I praise the Lord that uh, we can bring our sons out to this thing and uh, spin off from teaching in the book uh, just in conversations after we good yes I want to praise him for the many beautiful friends that we have that one of the things that I uh, really am uh, very happy about that he was with me when I had open heart surgery. I had it all the way through, and afterwards I just had no pain. Just mm. Really worked out. Praise the Lord. That's great. How long ago was that? That's about two and a half years ago. Ah, that's good. That's fantastic. Okay. Great. Well, let's get to our text. When we uh, met last week, we were, were spinning off of this just a little bit and talking 
about the the some of the ways that this is accomplished this matter of destroying your neighbor with your mouth and we began by uh, talking about flattery particularly as it's used in the book of Proverbs um, someone has said death and life are in the power of the tongue that's a scriptural concept in the book of Proverbs as well but then uh, made this statement but no tongue is more fatal than the flattering tongue others uh, Christ said uh, beware when all men speak well of you uh, because that's a a point of uh, of, uh, of danger when people think that when people say uh, well of you either you're doing something wrong or they're conning you one of the two someone said what is flattery soft soap and soft soap is 90% lie so uh, you have to uh, be very very careful now that then moves us very naturally into another way that uh, the neighbor is destroyed and that is by lying let's uh, look at chapter 6 for a moment chapter 6 and verse 17 uh, it uh, talks there about a number of things that the Lord hates seven things an abomination to the Lord a proud look and a lying tongue a lying tongue and the Lord despises that lying tongue but nevertheless it is uh, it is that which uh, is is used of Satan to bring destruction to another person in verse 19 another thing in this list is a false witness that speaks lies uh, remember that one of the Ten Commandments was thou shalt not bear false witness uh, the, the there's a there's a great problem uh, with with this idea of a false witness and God utterly despises it over in Proverbs chapter 14 chapter 14 in verse 5 it says a faithful witness will not lie but a false witness will utter lies in every situation of life you you have to determine whether you are a false witness or a faithful witness the faithful witness is the one who simply tells the truth the, fa the false witness is one that uses lies to destroy his neighbor there have been many many cases I'm sure you're aware of a good many where people have used the lie to bring destruction to his neighbor you look down a little further in that same chapter Proverbs 14 verse 25 it says a true witness delivereth souls see the the direct opposite of the godless man destroys his neighbor with his mouth he uses his mouth to bring destruction on the other hand a true witness those that speak the truth in love the true witness delivereth souls what a difference there is between the two but a deceitful witness speaketh lies and then you go to chapter 10 and verse 18 chapter 10 and verse 18 he that hideth hatred has lying lips and he that uttereth a slander is a fool he that hideth hatred hath lying lips when an individual 
harbors in his heart that uh, hatred toward another person, uh, then he, he sees to his destruction by using lying lips. In chapter 13, in verse 5, a righteous man hateth lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. The righteous man hates lying. And if you're a righteous person, you will hate lying as well. Look over in chapter 21. Chapter 21 and verse 6. The getting of treasures by lying a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of those that seek death. Often in the process of destruction of the neighbor, there is also personal gain that, that comes to the individual. And uh, uh, the, the idea of a, of lying, a lying tongue uh, is warned against here. It says that ultimately it leads to death. And incidentally, the word lying there is the word shebar. Uh, it's, it's a word that means a coloring, a shading. It is not so much a bold, obvious lie uh, that is, is used elsewhere, but rather it is a shading of the truth, a coloring, a sham, that which is just shaded over. As oft, oft times people talk about a white lie. There is really no such thing. They're all black. And even the shading of truth uh, is, is that which leads to destruction. Even though it says in verse 17 of chapter 20 that the bread of deceit is sweet to a man, it says afterward his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Uh, I, I say this a lot and I, I guess maybe uh, I'm going to say it again Sunday morning, um, but one of the things that you want to teach a child is uh, uh, not to envy the wicked. And uh, the way you teach him not to envy the wicked is to show the end of the wicked. It's a very, very important thing. And you'll notice repeatedly, particularly in the book of Proverbs and the, and the Psalms, the wisdom literature, uh, you'll notice repeatedly there is that reference to the end of wickedness. There's a way that seemeth right unto man, the end thereof are the ways of death. And here's another case. Bread of deceit is sweet to a man. It seems for the moment that the lie is the, is the most important thing to do, the best thing to do. By telling a lie, you may think, well, I spare feelings. Uh, by telling a lie, you may think that, that uh, it gets you out of a jam. Uh, by telling a lie, uh, it, it may seem as though uh, it is uh, uh, the most expedient thing to do for the moment. It always seems expedient. But ultimately, that same lie is going to turn to gravel in your mouth. And uh, just think of that for a moment. Just think of going out, the picturesque language, you know. You've got to think of, of, of what this really means. Just think you, you sit down to, to eat a meal and you pick up a spoonful of mashed potatoes and you bite into it and it's nothing but gravel. Imagine how good that tastes. Imagine what it does to your teeth. Imagine... How, how you'd feel if such a thing happened. Well, you see, you, you take that bite of a lie and, and you say, wow, it, it, it worked. I got away with it. And uh, the other guy was hurt, but I wasn't. 
And uh, that's fine, but all of a sudden, something's transformed and it becomes gravel in your mouth. And uh, it, it's no longer sweet. It no longer is nourishing. It no longer is valuable. You get caught in a lie and then you're caught in another lie and it begins to be a chain reaction. Afterward, his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Realize that the ultimate fate of the liar is, uh, is death. Again, back 21.6. A getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of those that seek death. Ultimately, that's what it brings. And so that's the end of the liar. And so when you're teaching your children about uh, the matter of lying, uh, don't be afraid to admit to them that the lie is sweet for the moment. That you can savor it for the moment. That it may for the moment forestall the inevitable. But the inevitable inevitably comes. Alright, chapter 21. Uh, chap uh, Psalm 120. Excuse me. Psalm 120. And verse 2. Now David had a great many times in his life where there were those that lied against him. You remember that Saul, after Saul became angry with David, simply because David was righteous, um, Saul uh, uh, uttered all kinds of disgusting things uh, to try to slander David. Uh, there were many accusations that were made. Among them, uh, there was the implication that David um, and, and uh, Jonathan, his friend that was the son of Saul, were involved in a homosexual relationship. That was one of the accusations that was made. Um, there was the accusation that, uh, that David was a traitor uh, when David had been totally loyal to Saul in every possible way. Yet he was called a traitor. Uh, it, it was a lie. Uh, but the people tended to believe the king rather than believe David. And so there was a period of time where David was very much alone with the exception of his mighty men. And uh, the people's hearts were turned away. But not only that, but David, David had the, the problem of deceit coming from the lips of his own son Absalom. As Absalom sought to uh, take the throne from David uh, and uh, usurp him. Uh, he lied about him. And David's heart must have been broken. But David says in Psalm 120, In my distress I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. And here's his prayer. Now just look at it. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What's the problem? Problem is that the godless man uses his mouth to destroy his neighbor. That's what the problem is. And David was being destroyed by the lips of those that would slander him and from the deceitful tongue, people that were telling lies. Then notice the next, the next verse. What shall be given unto thee? Or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Notice. Sharp arrows of the mighty 
with coals of juniper. That's a, a picturesque picture of hell. That's what's going to happen to the false tongue. Meanwhile, he says, woe is me. Woe is me. Simply because he's been under, under that kind of pressure where the false tongue has been used against him. Now, you can go through the Psalms and uh, you can find a considerable amount uh, about the, the lying tongue and the deceitful men. And David prays in another place, deliver me from bloody and deceitful men, and so on. So the lying tongue can be used to destroy the neighbor. Another thing that it can be used is slander. Now, slander and lying tongue are awfully close. It's, of course, the opposite of flattery, uh, but it's another means of destroying a neighbor. Uh, look at Psalm 31. Psalm 31. Often slander involves a lie. Other times it's the truth, but it's the way the truth is used. Psalm 31 and verse 13. For I have heard, David says, and again, what a sad picture it is uh, in terms of seeing the enemy uh, and the, then the happy picture of the contrast of what God does to compensate. Verse 12, though, says, I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life, but I trusted in thee, O God, uh, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. My times are in thine hands. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from those that persecute me. Now, we're not certain exactly what the, the particular situation was in Psalm 31. There is some speculation about the particular uh, historical uh, setting here. Uh, but uh, the, the, the point is that David is, uh, is under some tremendous pressure. And specifically, he speaks of, of the matter of slander. What should a person do when he's slandered? What should you do when, your neighbor, when, your, uh, when the godless man goes about seeking to destroy with his mouth and destroy a man's reputation? I think the average person would say, well, you've got to defend yourself. You've got to sue him for slander. Uh, you've got to uh, uh, make sure your name is cleared. David didn't do that. David said, I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Now, David showed a tremendous, a tremendous lot of courage and trust in the Lord uh, remember when Shemai cursed David. Uh, remember uh, David was going along with these mighty men and Shemai appeared and Shemai said, you're a bloody man and called him a bunch of dirty names. And, and uh, of course, David's mighty men were mighty men. And uh, they whip out their sword. And they, in fact, one of them said, uh, let, me, let me just uh, sever his head from the body. He won't be able to talk so big when he got his head rolling on the ground. And and uh, David said, no, don't do that. He said, look, and here's the reasoning behind it, all right? God hears what he's saying. And God knows it's not true. 
And maybe what's going to happen is that if you go ahead and let him curse, God's going to hear that. And God, and the principle is, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tested above that you're able, will with the testing make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The principle is this. And even though David didn't have the New Testament, the principle is the same. That God may hear this and he'll, he'll say, well, this has gone too far. This is too much. And he will bless me because of the curse. He will give me a blessing because of the curse. And he will requite me and he'll clear my name. God will take care of it. I've got to trust the Lord. Now, that's a tremendous amount of trust. The tendency of the flesh is to lash back. You know, I think when it comes to slander, we, we should do as one saint of old did. People were slandering his name with things that were not true. And someone said, aren't you going to defend yourself? He said, no. He said, uh, if they knew me like I know me, then they wouldn't have to use lies to slander me. They could use the truth. Simply because there were things in his heart, because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, things in his past life that were unknown. And if they knew all of that, they would be able to, to tell the truth about me and it would be worse than the lie. Now, when you understand that we, Paul said it this way, in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. That is, if, if it's left up to me, I have no capability of speaking the right thing or doing the right thing or thinking the right thing. I have no capability of doing that. In my flesh dwells no good thing. That's the way I am, naturally. But Christ has transformed me. And anything that I am, Paul said, I am by the grace of God. Now, the big thing is, remember, God can take care of his own reputation. God is slandered. God can take care of his own reputation. I trusted in thee, O Lord. Thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. There's nothing wrong with praying, deliver me from the hand of mine enemies, from those that persecute me. But my times are in thy hands. God has ordered your day. And if there's something that comes into your life that is somehow untoward, it is because he himself has allowed it. Now, Psalm 101. Psalm 101. And verse 5. Here's God's promise. Whoso secretly slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will I not tolerate. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. 
secret slanderer is going to be cut off. Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 18. He that hideth hatred has lying lips. And then the second half of the verse now. He that uttereth a slander is a fool. Shows you what God thinks of the man that slanders another person. Believe me, we shouldn't use our tongue to slander others. Look at Jeremiah 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. In verse 4. Take heed, everyone, of his neighbor, and trust not in any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanders, and they will deceive everyone his neighbor, and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies, and weary themselves to commit iniquity. Again, it overlaps with slander and lies, because they're so closely related. But it says, every neighbor will walk with slander. Sooner or later, they will. This is the, the, the condition of the, the people of Judah. Uh, Jeremiah, of course, was concerned uh, for those people, so deeply concerned that he begins this chapter by, by saying, Oh, if my head were only waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, I'd weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. But he goes on to describe them. And one of the things he says is that when people are away from God, you can't trust them. You just can't. They may seem on the surface uh, to be telling the truth. I always like to think of it this way with the godless person. You know and I know that there are some godless people that are as honest as the day is long. You can trust them. You trust them with your life. They're trustworthy in every sense of the word. And you say to yourself, in fact, those unbelievers are really more honest than uh, Christians. I've heard Christians slander other Christians. But the people, this particular person or uh, these people, even though they may be in the minority, Nevertheless, they, they, they never speak against their neighbor. They're perfectly great. Now think of this for a moment. The righteous man, or I, I, let me put it this way, the, the man who is self-righteous, the man who does good to his neighbor, never tells lies, all of that kind of thing, uh, he is very hard to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he's, he, he outwardly is so good. Now let me ask you, who's, to whose advantage is it to have a man self-righteous? Well, it's to Satan's advantage. Because if a man is self-righteous enough, if he has created enough of his own righteousness that he feels that he can make it without God, that after all he's so good, God just has to accept him, that man will not be saved. As long as he maintains that attitude, he'll not be saved. It is to Satan's advantage to make some men good. And he can do that for a while. 
But you see, what Satan does is this. Satan has every man like a puppet on a string. And he looks at this man and he thinks, hmm, if I make him real honest and real good, then that'll, that'll just be super. He'll just move him around and he'll make him that way. It's to his advantage to make another man exceedingly wicked. And so he'll just pull the strings on the puppet and get him going like that. But you want to know something? He's still got the strings. Scripture says that such a man, no matter how good he may outwardly seen, be, be seen, he is wicked, his heart is far from God, he is a godless man, he's without God and hope in this world, he's dead in trespasses and sins, and he's in bondage to Satan. He's a slave to Satan. He just does what the puppeteer tells him to do. And the puppeteer is telling him, be honest. Now, how many of you have heard of a man that was so honest and so generous and he embezzled a million dollars from the bank where he works? Sure you have. How could a man so honest, so upright, suddenly fall into that kind of thing? Well, Satan just thought, hmm, it's to my advantage now to make the man fall. And he fell. He had no control over that. You look at that man that is honest and never slanders. That individual is one that Satan is allowing to be the good guy for a time. Ultimately, he falls because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And ultimately, it's going to bring shame. And it's always, you see, if you can get a man honest enough, a man who never slanders, and all of a sudden, have him give one good slander against the righteous. Who's going to disbelieve such a person? His word is his bond. It always has been. He's never told a lie in his life. He's an honest man. And then he steps forward and slanders his neighbor. And people say, it must be right. You've got to trust this guy. Ever hear that happen? Of course Satan manipulates men to suit his own ends and his own purpose. And so slander, another way to destroy a neighbor. Look over in Psalm 15. Psalm 15 and verse 3. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor. Now, this is... One of the most significant psalms, I believe, in terms of practical Christian living, all right? It says in verse 1, Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Here it tells who this is. But that's not all. It also says in the last verse another thing that happens to this individual. It says, He that doeth these things shall never be moved. The, the psalm really is talking ab about um, two things. First of all, the man who can walk in the presence of God. Secondly, the man who can uh, have a successful life here. The one that does not fall. The one that does not fail. And so then he gives us 11 things 
that are involved. In fact, this psalm could be in subtitled, The Way Not to Fail. And here are the things. Watch. Uh, he uh, walketh uprightly. He works righteousness. He speaks the truth in his heart. He does not backbite with his tongue. He does not do evil to his neighbor. He does not take up a reproach against his neighbor. In his eyes, the vile person is despised. He honoreth them who fears the Lord. He, he uh, swears to his own hurt and doesn't change. In other words, he always keeps his word. Uh, if he says, uh, um, I'll be there at 2 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon, and uh, at 2 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon, he finds out that uh, to go where he said he would go uh, means that he'll, he's going to lose a million-dollar deal. He'll still go at 2 o'clock because he'd given his word. He swears to his own hurt, and uh, he changeth not. You can count on this man's word. He doesn't put his money out to interest. In other words, he gives to the poor rather than charging interest. He doesn't take reward against the innocent. He doesn't take bribes. And he that doeth these things shall never be moved. Right? So that's a terrific psalm. You want to, uh, in fact, I would say that that'd be a good psalm to memorize. It's short enough, five verses. But you ought to memorize that psalm. In fact, you ought to memorize in about three or four different translations and, uh, and uh, maybe even study out the words because there's some terrific uh, word studies in this little psalm and study the thing through because it's a terrific psalm but but uh, verse 3 is the one that, that we're particularly concerned with he that backbiteth not with his tongue he's an individual who who does not uh, the word is ragal uh, it means to walk about bearing tales he doesn't go around talking about other people he doesn't do that uh, he's not guilty of that wicked sin of gossip and talking against his neighbor. And then it also says that he doesn't do evil against his neighbor. He doesn't do any wrong against his neighbor. Rather, he only builds up and uh, does the thing that will edify. That's a terrific uh, uh, little scenario there in that psalm. And then Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25. In verse 23, The north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. Now God tells you that when you know that the person you're talking to is gossiping, then you ought to have a stormy look on your face. Like that's a great way you know, a soft answer turns away wrath, but the thing that turns away the gossip is when you give him an angry look. Uh, the thing about a gossip is that, that he, he thrives on your interest. All right? Guy comes along and he's going to slander his neighbor. And he, start, he starts out maybe a little carefully saying, uh, uh, promise you won't tell. Uh, I heard something about so-and-so. All right? Now, at that point, he looks for a reaction. And the reaction he generally gets is the ear sort of turning that direction, you know. 
Oh, really? Tell me. Quick. I just want to know so I can pray about it. And then so he starts telling you. And as he begins to tell you, you realize he's really slandering this guy. And, and what do you do? Well, you say, you say, tell me more. You know, you've got to be able to pray specifically. You know, right? Uh, you know, you're very spiritual about it, but you're listening. And this guy thrives on that. I'll guarantee you. I've done it so many times. I know it works. Have a guy come up and he says, uh, I, I heard something about so-and-so. And you, you give this angry look. Just, you know, growl. And the guy looks and he says, I don't think I'd better tell you. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you, you, you've got to react in an angry way. And just like, the, just like the, 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 the north wind drives away the storm, the angry countenance. You know, you, you, if you can't work up an angry countenance, then what you can say to him is, this is a terrific statement to say to a person who's slandering. Just say to him, gossip makes me so angry that I get violent. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> the guy will run in a hurry. You don't want to allow it to go on. That's the problem. We're as guilty when we listen as we are when we speak. And here's this man out to destroy his neighbor and we're relishing what he says. No way. Get an angry countenance, and the angrier, the better. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, in that black description of the man who is away from God, the man who is without God and without hope in the world. Romans chapter 1, verse 30. It says, in addition to being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, and maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity, and whispers, it says in verse 30, backbiters, backbiters, gossips, those that are slandering their neighbor. 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. And verse 20. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I would. And that I shall be found unto you such as you would not. Lest there be debates or contentions, envyings, wraths, strifes or factions, Backbitings, whisperings, conceit, disorders. Paul says, I wrote this letter to get this all squared away. So when I, can't, when I come, there won't be any of this foolishness. Backbiting, slander, gossip. Just another way that the mouth is used to destroy the neighbor. Now, there's another way uh, that you can destroy your neighbor. Again, it's akin to lying, but it's used in a little bit different way. It's the idea of frowardness 
a subject that we studied some time ago in the book of Proverbs as we have been going through. But I want you to look at it for a moment in Proverbs 6 and verse 12. Frowardness is simply twisting things, all right? Just twisting things a little bit. Twisting things, frowardness. Verse 12 of chapter 6, it says, A worthless person, a wicked man, walketh with a froward mouth, a perverse mouth, a mouth that is false, is twisted, is distorted. Noteth now, it's even his body language. He winketh with his eyes. He speaketh with his feet. He teacheth with his fingers. Uh, perversity, upside-downness, literally, forwardness, is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. He makes a contest out of life and sows discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly, Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. In verses 16 through 19, there is this picture of these six things the Lord hates. He seven are an abomination unto him. Uh, <coughs> in Hebrew literature, one of the things that you, that you learn is that uh, there, there's very picturesque language. And... Uh, I know that when you read these verses, you get the impression that the Lord says, there's six things I hate. Whoops, I forgot one. Uh, there's also, uh, there actually are seven. Uh, but uh, uh, that was a particular uh, Semitic way of, uh, of emphasizing. And uh, it emphasizes two things. It emphasizes the whole list as being very hateful to God. But it also puts special emphasis on the seventh of the list. In other words, God, all of these things are an abomination to God. But God zeroes in on a particular thing that he despises, a particular thing that he hates. And notice what it is. He that soweth discord among the brethren. But you look back and notice what it says in verse 14. He soweth discord. It is the froward man that is the subject here. Of the, whole, uh, of the whole text. There, there is actually a context here, although you can't always find a context in the book of Proverbs. There is a context here, and the context is that here you have the man who twists things and uses his twisted things to sow discord, to cause problems between people, destroying your neighbor with your lips, with your mouth. And God says he especially hates that individual or that sin of sowing discord among the brother. Look at chapter 10, verse 31. Chapter 10 and verse 31. The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue, the froward tongue, shall be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. But the mouth of the wicked speaketh perverseness, speaketh frowardness, and you twist, you distort. Chapter 8 and verse 8, all the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverse in them. No frowardness in the mouth. What a statement. 
That is, they are all plain to him that understandeth and right to those who find knowledge. This is wisdom crying. Wisdom says, I never twist anything. I never distort anything. I tell it like it is. Verse 13 says, though the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth. Do I hate the twisted mouth? The one who does not fully tell the truth. All right, then over in uh, chapter 2, verse 12, to deliver thee. By the way, here's the thing that will deliver thee. It's wisdom. And notice in verses 1 through 11, it is talking about seeking for God's word, seeking for hidden treasure in the word of God, seeking for God's wisdom, digging deep to find it. And uh, then it says that here is a, a, a part of the utility of God's word. It says, it will deliver you from the way of the evil man, from men that speak perverse things. It's going to deliver you from that. And notice what they do. They leave the paths of unrighteousness. They walk in the way of darkness. They rejoice to do evil. They delight in the perverseness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked, and they are perverse in their paths. It also goes on and says it will deliver you from the strange woman. But that's the perverse man. And then look at verse 32 of chapter 3. Chapter 3. The perverse, the, the forward, is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. Chapter 4, verse 24. Put away from thee a crooked mouth, a, a forward mouth, and perverse lips uh, put far from thee. Don't have any part in it. Go back to chapter 11. Get down to verse 20. It says, They that are of a perverse heart, a forward heart, are an abomination to the Lord. But such as are upright in their way are his delight. Chapter 16. Chapter 16. And verse 28. The forward man. Notice what he does. He sows strife. The twisted man. The man who is twisted in his own life. He, he evidences it by sowing strife and a whisper separateth chief friends. A violent man enticeth his neighbor and leadeth him in a way that's not good. He shutteth his eyes to devise perverse things. Moving his lips, he brings evil to pass. You're not, not a man going around with a gun in his hand shooting people. That's a murderer. That's a different category of wickedness. But he's the man that shoots off his mouth and twists things and distorts things. As a result, destroys his neighbor. Chapter 17 and verse 20. He that hath a perverse heart, a forward heart, findeth no good. You don't find any good in anybody. You always find the bad thing. And he that hath a perverse tongue falleth into mischief. Verse, chapter 21, verse 8. The way of man is devious and strange, but as for the pure, his work is right. Devious, strange things that come from the lips, especially of that man with a froward mouth. Chapter 22 and verse 5. 
thorns and snares are in the way of the froward, he that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. Just another way that the godless man destroys his neighbor. Now, one more way, and that is the way of violence. The tongue that leads to violence, ultimately. Proverbs 10 and verse 6. Blessings are on the head of the just, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. A mouth that actually can produce violence. I was listening the other day uh, to uh, uh, a news report uh, where a a, a man was was speaking to a group of people and and trying to inspire hatred and inspire violence. The things that came from his mouth with the power of the tongue to sway an audience. It's just absolutely amazing. Uh, the the history has been marred by by individuals who have the ability to use their mouth to bring about violence. We have to be very, very careful. Blessed are the peacemakers, Scripture says. I, I, I heard, I heard uh, the other day, uh, Ian Paisley, uh, on the on the TV, and uh, I I know that Ian Paisley is probably a man uh, who who uh, is about a sound when it comes to the matter of uh, the preaching of the gospel uh, as any man in Ireland he is he 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 believes in salvation by faith in Christ uh, theologically uh, we would have a lot in common but the man is using his tongue to stir up hatred it's tragic and to hear him speak and the things that he says you would wonder if the man even knows Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was meek and lowly in heart. It's tragic. I don't you may politically agree with Ian Paisley, and I certainly don't want to get into the whole the whole situation that there is in Ireland, Northern Ireland. I I, I, I there are a lot of unknowns, there's a lot of problems there that we in our setting would have a tough time understanding. But oh, to hear a man stand up and spew hatred. And again, Scripture says, can out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing? If there is, if there is, 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 is the pure heart, out of that pure heart come pure words. Out of a bitter heart come bitter words. And the thing that I think happens to someone like that and happens with a, a good many others is they lose their eternal perspective. You lose your eternal perspective. I'll tell you something. If, if my home is uh, uh, 1590 Wright Avenue, if that's my home, if that's the final resting place of Paul Steele, that's where it all ends, I will defend that home to the, to the hilt. I won't let anyone touch my property. I won't let anybody mar my floors. Because I've got to spend eternity there. Okay? If that's it, 
that I've got to I've got to live for that. But if it is only temporary, it doesn't matter. And the house can be destroyed, and I can be destroyed physically with it. You can blow it to smithereens. And my real home is my reward. Christ did not say, I am sending my carpenters to build your residence here on earth. He said, in my Father's house are many apartments. I go to prepare a place for you. Where? There. That where I am, there you may be also. That is our home. That's the eternal perspective. If the United States of America is the final millennium location, and I as a Christian have the responsibility to bring in the millennium, then uh, I'll have a different attitude toward preserving our economy uh, and uh, uh, scalping the other guy to make sure we get a fair deal and, and uh, all of the rest of it. But if indeed this is a temporary place, I will let it be and go to glory. Now that doesn't mean I wouldn't defend my country. I want you to understand that. I think we have a responsibility, a right uh, and the scripture makes that very clear. Uh, Romans 13. The Lord uses a nation like ours to execute righteous judgment upon other nations. God uses other nations to execute righteous judgment on us. And there's a, there's a place for defense of a country and all of those things. I'm not saying that at all. But I do not defend my country with the same vigor that I would if I believed this was heaven. See? It's an eternal perspective. And I'm saddened my patriotic heart. I bleed red, white, and blue when I'm cut. Because, but, but when I see the things that are happening in my country, my heart bleeds. When the judgment of God comes, and it surely will come, when it comes, it's not going to distress me as much as it's going to distress someone that has no heavenly hope. I think if we gain an eternal perspective, we will not use a froward tongue. Well, listen, uh, we have to leave this and come back to it next week. But we surely will, okay? Lord willing. And let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we can spend together in discussing these things. Lord, help us not to be godless today and go out and destroy our neighbor with our tongue. Help us not to use lies or vanity. Help us not to speak slander. Help us not to twist things. Help us not to encourage violence. We pray that we will be peacemakers, and that we will be meek and lowly in heart, for we know that that is the thing that pleases you. You've told us, Lord, that when our ways please you, that even our enemies will be at peace with us. So grant that, we pray. Give us a good day. And whether we have those that slander us and try to destroy us with their mouth, or whether we have a situation of peace, we pray that we will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a terrific day at work today. <laughs>